Welcome to this week's episode of Pour Another Round, where we're here to discover and share the stories behind the breweries filling up your glass. This week, we've got Nick and Kevin from Barrel and Beam in Marquette, Michigan. Marquette is in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, along with 30-some other breweries. There's actually approximately one brewery per 10,000 residents, so that's wild. The guys at Barrel and Beam are naturally carbonating their beers, ciders, and meads, and many of their beers spend a year or longer in oak wine barrels to age. That must require a lot of patience, waiting for that beer to be ready. Nick gives us an explanation of aging those beers that have been bottle and can conditioned and what the best environment is for allowing your beers and ciders to age at home if you want them to. Kevin has gotten around as far as breweries go. He set out with a goal of visiting every single brewery in Michigan, and there are more than 350. As breweries continue to open, his job is never done. Props to you, Kevin. So enjoy this episode of Pour Another Round with Nick and Kevin from Barrel and Beam in Marquette, Michigan. Cheers to our sponsors. Wisconsin's newest craft beverage trail is here. Madison on Tap is a craft beverage trail brought to you by Destination Madison and their craft beverage partners. And this trail is way more fun than the old Oregon Trail computer game that we all used to play. And there's not even any dysentery or starvation <laughs> on this trail. <laughs> Quite the opposite, really. Madison on Tap is your free roadmap to more than 30 breweries, cideries, and distilleries in the greater Madison, Wisconsin region, and there are discounts and prizes along the way. Madison on Tap is mobile exclusive, but requires no app download. Sign up at visitmadison.com, and all you need to do is check in at each location you visit on the trail. You'll get some discounts, and you might even receive some extra perks. Tell us about those, Jonathan. Well, just three check-ins gets you a Madison on Tap sticker. Six check-ins gets you a Madison on Tap hat, and 12 check-ins gets you entered to win an overnight Madison craft experience. 12 check-ins seems pretty easy. And even just one check-in, you're guaranteed some great beverages and a good time. Right, exactly. Just head to visitmadison.com slash madison-on-tap to access the trail pass or simply Google Madison on Tap. Cheers and happy trails. I'm Cameron. And I'm Jonathan. We, we like beer. beer. We're a podcast by beer lovers, for beer lovers, and with beer creators. Some of our best stories start with beer. Now it's time to make beer the story. Each hoppy pour has been on an often unexpected journey to become the brews you love. So, pour another round and drink with us as we explore the stories behind your favorite beers and breweries. And if you like beer, like breweries, like some bad jokes and great puns, and like this podcast, be sure to subscribe so you can learn about all of our upcoming breweries we have on tap. This week on Pour Another Round, we are here with Barrel and Beam from Marquette, Michigan. We've got Nick and Kevin from Barrel and Beam. Guys, welcome and to Pour Another Round, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, so I need to, to preemptively apologize. There is a reclaimed wood shop in Green Bay called Beam and Board, and I keep like flipping them in my head. So like I have it written down on my computer. So when I'm speaking, I say it correctly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't be the first time. 
Oh, we get we get barrel and bean. <laughs> yeah, sure. we get barrel and bean a lot. I don't know why people hear bean instead of bean. Hmm. So. You're, you can call us whatever uh, as long as you're drinking our beer. There we go. <laughs> you can start a coffee shop side and it can be barrel and bean. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yep. Well, uh, let's get a little bit of an introduction for, for each one of you, Kevin and Nick. Let's talk about Nick first here and talk about your path to beer. Where did the love of beer come from and how did you decide to take the take the leap and, and do it professionally and, and, and go from there? Yeah, um, really, for me, it kind of, you know, some of it just comes from uh, growing up with, uh, you know, my grandpa, Bert, who loved European lager and always had those little mini kegs of like Varsteiner or Bax or, you know, name that uh, European Pilsner. And uh, when I was way too young to drink, I was able to sip on those and and, and try them and uh, got to know really good beer at an absurdly young age. And then, of course, when I got old enough to do so, I started, you know, exploring the world of craft beer. Really, Bell's was a huge one. You know, they were, this was in like the, uh, right around 2000, you know, um, Two Hearted. It was like, what is this stuff? You know what I mean? It blew my mind. Then I started home brewing, which uh, most of us professional brewers, I think at this point, home brewed um, at some point. That led me to thinking I would start a brewery, which led my wife to telling me you should probably get some experience first um, in a real brewery. So then I decided to do that. I did an internship <laughs> at a, a brew pub called The Great Day in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, which uh, then led to going to brewing school. I did the World Brewing Academy, which was a partnership between Siebel Institute in um, Chicago and Doman's Academy in Munich. And then from there, I worked for a couple breweries in Wisconsin and then ultimately made it back to the UP to Marquette for a brewery called Ordock Brewing. Um, and I was the head brewer there for a bunch of years before we decided to branch out and, and uh, build Barrel and Beam. That's fantastic. And then, Kevin, let's let's talk about how you got involved in Barrel and Beam. Uh, you were in Green Bay uh, a few weeks ago and, and we had the we had some pints together and uh, I think you you said you just you drank a lot of it, and, and finally Nick was like, you know what, come on. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, when they opened five years ago, it was probably I tried to, you know, my story trying to go to every brewery in Michigan. And it was probably about two or three months once they were open that I was able to pop in because they were from where I lived at the time, about 450 miles away. Um, so traveling to the UP as much as I could, they were always on my list once they opened. And when I popped in, I mean, I've said it so many times that I was just kind of blown away by the the beers that I was drinking. I, it was, they weren't unfamiliar styles, but they were styles that you don't see a lot in the craft beer industry. And they were really, really good, like blown away. And I, you know, backstory, I had a really low budget blog and I was doing videos and stuff like that. And I asked Nick and his uh, brewer, Joe, to do a video with me and just kind of, we hit it off from there and coming up as much as possible and volunteering for them at beer fest. And I knew when I started drinking craft beer myself that I wanted to be in the industry at some capacity, I just knew it wasn't going to be making beer. Um, and I didn't want to be a bartender. Um, so I thought sales was going to be the best way. And they weren't the first brewery that I, you know, made or sent my resume to and what have you, but no one even let me get my foot in the door. And last July, Nick approached me when I was volunteering for him at a beer fest downstate and asked if I wanted to start doing it part-time. And six months later, he called me again and said, hey, do you want to do this full-time? 
And I was like, hell yeah, I do. That's awesome. And he goes, you have to move to Marquette. And I said, oh, big, yeah. All right. Yeah. Done deal. No <laughs> question. <about> that. <laughs> that's awesome. And I get paid, I get paid to sell beer. So that's, on, that's you know, just the ice, uh, icing on the cake. Yeah. Not too bad. Not too bad of a gig there. No. You just kind of glazed over something. And before we talk about Barrel and Beam, I want to I talk about your personal endeavors here. You just said you, you wanted to visit every brewery in Michigan. Michigan's got a shit ton of breweries. So talk about that journey. How long did that take you? And, and like, why, why did you want to conquer the, the, the breweries of Michigan? Well, it started actually just traveling to state. I mean, I'm the biggest proponent of Michigan. I have been for a long time. I feel no, no disrespect to the state, uh, I guess, to the south of us where we're at now. <laughs> but I Michigan is one of the coolest states. As we, you can travel uh, travel from corner to corner, and you know, take the UP, take Detroit, Grand Rapids, and everything in between. There's just so many cool places to see, and that was my passion traveling the state. And then once I got hooked on the craft beer, it just kind of went hand in hand, where I could travel the state, bike, kayak, and then end my day at two or three different breweries. And I don't, I think it was 2017 when I started actually counting how many I went to, and. Right now, I'm at 452 in Michigan, uh, and there's five that have opened that I have not been to. So I have not been to them all right now. Earlier last year in 2022, I I had the opportunity to say I'd I'd been to them all, but five, you know, they keep opening, so I can't keep up as much as I used to. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's. So yeah, it's just a passion, and, and that's impressive. Yeah, well, it's uh, no wife, no kids, and <laughs> that uh, helps uh, really. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it allowed me to travel a lot on the weekends. Very cool. Well, that's yeah, that's that's a shitload of breweries. That's awesome. Very impressive. So Marquette, you're now. I'm trying to go uh, one by one in Wisconsin. Okay, there you go. <laughs> well, they keep opening too, so you might be on that for a while. That's true. So. Barrel and Beam is located in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan in Marquette. Why Marquette? Why the UP? Why you know? Why is is that where Barrel and Beam, you know, where you decided to open Barrel and Beam? Well, I grew up in the UP. I didn't grow up in Marquette. I grew up in Menominee County. Okay. So you guys are familiar being from Green Bay with Marinette Menominee. That was yep. like my closest downtown growing up. But I grew up up in the county, about twenty miles. Daggett, actually. And, uh, you know, so I'm a youper, but, you know, where I grew up, there's really not, I, I mean, for instance, my parents grew up there too. They, when they graduated from high school, they had like 150 people in their graduating class. When I graduated, there was like 74 of us. Now we're talking about graduating classes of like 20 students. So, you know, most of the UP, I feel like sadly is kind of dwindling. There's not much for people to do for work. You know, logging's not the big thing anymore. Even mining is changing. So when I went to Northern, you know, I kind of fell in love with Marquette as the place I wanted to be in the UP. And I didn't think that I would get back here anywhere near as quickly as as I did. You know, uh, Marina, my wife and co-founder of the brewery, and I thought, oh, someday, you know, we'll, we'll when we retire, we'll have a summer spot or something up there. Um, but then, you know, I was only like 30, I don't know, six or something, 35 when uh, the Ordoc opportunity happened. And that got us back to Marquette a lot sooner than we thought. It's funny because... You know, it's like, why Marquette? Well, there are people walking around with hats that say, because Marquette. So I don't know if that <laughs> answers the question. <laughs> but, you know, Marquette's just, you know, it's like, it's a it's a special spot in the UP. We have a lot more 
culture, you know, here, I guess, than a lot of the places. We have a lot more things to do. We have more people. Uh, we have Northern Michigan University, which is pretty awesome. You know, it's really, I think uh, most people move to Marquette and they fall in love with it. And beer aside, I mean, the UP in general and Marquette, I mean, it's an outdoorsman's paradise. So if you love fishing, which, you know, Nick does, um, hiking, obviously mountain biking, there's just so much to do up here. And then you can go drink some amazing beers. There's that. We have several <laughs> good breweries. That's awesome, too. There's there's 31 breweries in the UP. And what is the population of the UP? Like, that seems like a ridiculous amount of breweries per, per person. It, it is because the population of the UP is like 300,000 people. So that's like, a, I guess, for every, 10, I, I don't 10, know, 10,000 10, people, yeah. we got a brewery. That's fantastic. <laughs> Well, let's let's talk about before we get into the the beers and and we'll we'll do all that fun stuff. But Barrel and Beam elicits a a vision on what barrel what 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 the brewery what the establishment is all about. So, are all of your beers barrel aged? Where does where's the sort of the name come from, and how does that tie into this whole product of of the brewery? I mean, we had a lot of name ideas that were cool names, but really didn't say anything about us. You know, it's one of those where we were like, like, I really liked, you know, I wanted the names or the words say San in the name of the brewery because like, that's primarily what we make, you know, or like, that's kind of the foundation of most of what we make is maybe a better way to put it. And really it came down to working with my cousin who actually has experience in branding and marketing and you know, she started to throw names back at us that actually meant something. And to be honest with you, when the name Barrel and Beam came in, I didn't like it at first, but I feel like it's sort of like, you know, there's a lot of great albums that I had to listen to like three times before I was like, oh, that's really good. You know what I mean? I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> and it really comes out of the fact that, A, as you mentioned, we do barrel age a lot of our beers, most of our beers, I'd say. Actually, I think I counted the other day. We've got... 16 items on the menu here and i i want to say that only three of them weren't barrel aged, or maybe it was four i forget now so we do a lot of that and um, i'll just get into that just a touch and say that though we do a lot of barrel aging it's not a lot like a lot of the barrel aging that you see done out there we're not necessarily doing um spirit barrels with a ton of like you know spirit character and all that we're more using barrels as the appropriate vessel to make wild ales you know the wood being a better way to do it so anyway i'll get back to the name though the beam comes in the fact that we're in a, a old log cabin it's actually the building was a supper club they started building it in the 30s the mid 30s and they added on to the building for i don't know like 30 more years 40 more years up to like 1980 and about I don't know, probably as far as the space that we actually use, probably half of it is log cabin. Wow. So the beams, you know, are here above us in the main rooms of the cabin. And that's kind of where it all came together. And just because too, like beam, you know, is just one of those cool words that, that has a lot of meanings, you know, it's like, yeah, we have wooden beams, but we're also sort of beaming with, you know, the fun of the kind of beer we make. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, like, again, not to reference music too much, and I do way too much, but <laughs> it's sort of like the best music I feel like people can kind of assign to themselves a little bit. 
And hopefully people can do that with the names of our beers, the name of our place. You know, we kind of want something that people can can have fun with. And when you say that you're not putting the beer in the barrels, like spirit barrels, when I think of barrel-aged beers, like it takes a lot of patience. It's just sitting on a shelf and, you know, a few months, a year, what what have you. Every, everything is obviously different. It takes a whole lot of patience. So... Is, is that a similar process there? And, and do you have a lot of patience is oh, my yeah. question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, for that, yes. For, for great beer, yes. <laughs> I do have a lot of patience. Uh, for other things, maybe not as much. No, uh, yeah, what you're saying is very true about, about the kind of barrel aging we do in that it does take time. You know, we do have some, some like, just wild yeast beers that we can basically just have in a barrel for like three, four months. But a lot of our, our, like all of our sour beers, you know, we're talking about more like a year in the barrel, sometimes more. Oftentimes when we do a blend, there'll be like beer in the package. That's like a year and a half old to beer. That's three months old. It just kind of depends, you know, but though we do have some spirit barrels and though we do occasionally do some things where we want to really accentuate that barrel character, um, or for instance, we did like some maple syrup barrel beer. You know, we really wanted that character to be there. But really, most of our beers are in, um, you know, wine barrels, French oak. And that is because, uh, and the, the, I should say, I should back up. And the reason why we do it in barrels at all, you know, we could do all this in stainless steel. Um, it's not impossible, but the barrel makes the product a lot more complex a little bit of micro oxygenation is helpful for the wild yeast to be able to um, continue to affect the beer you know even after it's done with what we normally would consider the fermentation you know the barrel also can hold on to organisms for us you know it's also a way for us to turn 10 barrels of beer sometimes into you know components of several different beers you know kind of splits our product volume out into usable sizes especially as we grew you know we're we're hoping to sell 500 barrels of liquid this year that's not a lot of beer so really a lot of a lot of what the barrels have done for us in addition to what i've mentioned is help sort of level off our production to where we need it to be you know we can let a sour beer stay in a barrel a little longer if if your beer is in a tank it's usually in the way you know what i mean right so those are the main reasons why, you know, the thing is about the, the main thing about it is you can't make traditional barrel aged sour beer if you don't use a barrel. And if you don't use a barrel, you can't really even approximate it is the way we've kind of come to, to see it. So on that note, let, let's pour our first round and, and talk about one of these beers that, that you're referencing. One of the, the beers that you, you got to us is the Queen City Brute. Uh-huh. So talk about that beer and, you know, kind of where the idea came from, the some of the tasty notes that, that you get from it and, you know, maybe how how your consumers have really reacted to it. Yeah, well, I would say that, you know, it's the we've done the beer before. It's the second time we did it. The first time we did it, we used some white grapes. Um, I think they were Chardonnay grapes and the beer was OK. It wasn't great. We set out to make it better this time. We used different grapes but um, and some other things. But really, I, I, the, I think the original sort of notion just came out of the fact that, you know, beer to champagne as it is, uh, you know, the idea is super dry, effervescent beer 
like champagne, which really most of our products are dry and effervescent. You know, we have higher carbonation levels. Everything's naturally carbonated here. We, you get that effervescence. You get that dryness from our Saison yeast and our mixed culture. So, like, we're basically trying to get to the sort of the pinnacle of that kind of thing about the what we like about the farmhouse ale, that dry effervescence. So, we really uh, set out, like we do with a lot of our of our products to make a Michigan source product. So we did use Pilsner malt from uh, Great Lakes malt down in uh, Traverse city. The first time we, we made it, we actually tried to dry it out even more by using a little bit of Michigan beet sugar. This time we decided we didn't need to do that. We were going to hit that high ABV and get as dry as we needed to be without it. And also maybe uh, leaving a little bit more, complexity in the beer than if some of it was sugar and then uh we barrel aged it with uh, a whole bunch of wild yeasts as well as you know our house yeast our house saison yeast is always in there too and then we finished it with uh some red grapes this time from uh, coloma foods down in southwest michigan pinot and zinfandel and then uh as i mentioned we do naturally carbonate all our products so we bottle can and keg condition everything here no forced carbonation um, so then that Michigan beet sugar with some fresh yeast in the package and then more time, which is, you know, the downfall of bottle conditioning. There are a lot of huge benefits uh, and we're committed fully to it. But unfortunately, uh, reintroducing a fermentation in 11 and a half percent beer means that you're going to spend <laughs> some time letting that get to back to really um the product that we wanted it to be, you know, that also adds a little alcohol, more alcohol to the package. You know, that's been a, um, a really fun process. I've done it to some extent for a long time, but we've really um, dialed in natural carbonation in the package. Uh, there's a lot of variables and we have a lot of different sort of product types and product streams that have different requirements. Um, and it took a few years, but now I feel like our carbonation is pretty well dialed in. You know, switching to cans for some of our products added a little bit another level of figuring that out as well. But yeah, I think it's going pretty good. And, you know, and one other thing I'll say about the uh, Queen City Brood is that, you know, our beers normally like our strongest beers are like 7%. You know, farmhouse sale isn't really generally high alcohol. It's not like your your Belgian quads and triples or doubles even for that matter. But we did want to push it here and there and make a stronger beer. And, and that's kind of where we thought that we could make our best and most unique and also stay consistent with our niche. Cause that's really important to us here. Well, and the, and the, the name of the beer queen city brute, uh, let's, let's talk about a little bit of a geography and history lesson here. As I was, uh, reading through uh, barrel and bean for today, I learned that Marquette is called queen city. Well, I, I, I learned that it is called, but I don't know why. So do you know anything about local history over there and why is it called Queen City? It's funny because I thought that there'd be a great story about that, too. When we oh, well, OK, <laughs> don't preface it like that. Make up a better story then. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to let the truth get in the way of a good story. But the fact of the matter is, it's the same reason why they call like, uh, is it? Um, I, I forget all the cities. If you look it up, Baltimore is Queen City. There are so many cities called. Yeah, Charlotte, North Carolina is too. Yeah, and it turns out it's because it basically it was downtown for everybody. Like you know, like if you lived in in uh, Iron Mountain or something back in the day, and you really needed to go to like 
it'd be like for me as a kid, I would go to Green Bay with my family if we needed to go to something more than Walmart <laughs> or, you know, what I mean? back yeah. in the day. So it really comes apparently that 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 being used as a name for cities comes from that. The idea of that's the Queen City. That's where we all need to go to get our our business done if it's more than our just day to day. So that's why sadly it's not that interesting. <laughs> I was I was really hoping for a story like, you know, the UP wanted to be its own nation, so they they had a queen and they started to go to battle <laughs> with Wisconsin and Michigan and Canada. And I love that. That that's, story. Yeah, that's, I'm going to I'm going to believe that one. <laughs> Uh, well, so while we're talking about the the creativity of of stories, I suppose, uh, and the creativity of of the beer, and you know the whole shtick with with the the barrel aging process and and how that incorporates it all, uh, I guess this might be a better question for Kevin over there. Like, how does that benefit the sale of the beer? Because I think you know, there's like you mentioned, there's there's 500 breweries in Michigan, there's hundreds of them in in Wisconsin, and and you know, 10,000 in the in the country here. You got to stand out somehow. So obviously, kind of finding a niche market or a shtick that you bring. Talk about how Barrel and Beam has really been able to enter the market with with some unique beers. Well, it can start as simple for me as on the sales side um, and doing this less than a year. And I get this all the time. Just our packaging. And if you've seen our labels, they really pop. Yep. Just sitting on the store shelf, that that alone right there is a big factor for a sale, for me, sales-wise, is I, I bring them to everybody, show samples, and everyone just kind of blown away by, I don't want to say this is not a bad thing, simplistic. It's just very basic, and it says what it is without all the crazy graphics. And then from there, it's just getting the fluid in people's mouths for them to really see what style of beer. So say the Queen City or our, our newest release that comes out this Friday, Grafted, you know, you're talking night and day. So Queen City's 11.6. We're making a beer now called Grafted that we're going to sell in um, Michigan and Wisconsin. It's only 4.1%. Um, and, you know, people are, I, I remember chasing higher ABV beers back in the day, going to a brewery and looking on the menu and seeing what the highest gravity beer they had. And that would be the first thing I'd go to. <laughs> uh, but that is, that's, that's completely changed. Um, and it won because I work here because they're just there's they're much more sessionable beers, beers that you can you know have two or three of them and feel completely fine. It's uh, the styles are unique from farmhouse, the flavors, the ingredients, everything about the beers that Nick and Joe are making here. They're not different styles. They're not making their own style of beer, but they're making their own version of what they think good beer is. Again, saisons and the different types of saisons from just your classic saison, which is our terra terra, or a Michigan sourced barrel aged saison. It's just, you know, different styles uh, made differently. And again, time, effort, and ingredients. Everything that goes into the beers that are made here are very, very unique. And again, Mich- you know, we do a lot of Michigan source. One thing I do run into is when I go sell down in Wisconsin, they're like, so? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big deal, guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Well, talking about talking about Michigan sourcing, looking at, I think I think somewhere on your website, you had uh, something along the lines of like, instead of Queen City, it should be called Fruit something or other. Like, I oh, remember yeah. <laughs> I, I grew up in the, yeah. the Chicago area. So, you know, Northeastern Illinois, I Michigan was a, a quick hop skip and a jump uh, away and we'd go up there blueberry picking and whatnot that was kind of a, a fun family excursion like michigan has a ton of fruit so is that what you mean by locally sourced you you got a lot of the fruit that you put in your your beers or is it beyond that yeah we actually um the fruit 
is a main one. You know, every once in a while we do something fun. Like we actually have from, you know, a fruit that you wouldn't grow like um, passion fruit, for instance. We're not against fruit from other places. We do that sometimes, but really the, the idea is, you know, we don't have to. Um, we can make fruit sours with Michigan fruit, and, and we definitely have set out to do that. We have a whole series of fruit sours that are um, that, that come out every year. It's, you know, like pawberry, bow blue. So pawberry is a raspberry sour, bow blue's blueberry. Um, Spooky Creek is Michigan Montmorency cherry bogberries michigan cranberries so there's that but also all those beers also have michigan grown and malted barley wheat rye spelt hops uh michigan grown hops um uh, like i mentioned we use michigan uh, it's actually michigan sugar company is the company that we get our beet sugar from that we use to uh naturally carbonate all our products and uh then of course um we we would be uh completely remiss if we didn't mention that of course our water also comes from Michigan. In the case of Barrel and Beam, um, it actually comes from the ground. We, we brew with well water um, that we get from our township here because we are outside of downtown. We're on the edge of town. Um, so yeah, really the whole whole product for a lot of our products is Michigan sourced. And then, you know, we also um, sometimes uh, like, you know, Kevin actually mentioned one, a great example uh, of a classic style that we do, our Saison Terra Terra. Which basically is like, you know, there's a million different Saisons out there, but we're trying to go for that like Saison DuPont kind of character, kind of going for that what is well known as like a French and Belgian style Saison kind of kind of a character. And that is a beer that is actually brewed with French hops and French malt. So we do that as well. Our uh, Bloc du Nord Whit beer is another example. We import those ingredients to try to make that classic. But um, then we kind of have the Michigan version side by side. So actually we have Terra Terra, which is the French source beer, and then Terroir, which is a Michigan source Saison. Um, so you can really see with, you know, minor changes really to what the beer is comprised of other than the sourcing of the ingredient actually makes a pretty big difference in the kind of beer. You know, the uh, Strissel Spalt hops grown in France tastes a lot different than any hop grown in Michigan. It's that kind of idea. You know what I mean? Why Saisons? Like, why does that, why why are you passionate about those? You know, I, I really think that those brewers were onto something. You know, they were trying to take the, the amazing complexity and intensity in some cases of Belgian brewing and smash that together with continental lagers and i think that the result really is that you know that dry crisp sort of effervescent hop driven sort of lager like beer but with the extra complexity that comes from a yeast strain that's not a lager yeast and in fact not even um not even a clean ale yeast our house strain some people believe actually is a is a wine yeast that mutated um, over the who knows how long, you know. So I, I really just, I, I, I think it has all that. It has the complexity. It has the wow factor, if you can get that in there. But it also is drinkable, dry, has hop character. You know, it's like that's one thing. I love a good double. But you know what? I also like some hops. So you see what I mean? It's a, it's a great mashup of all those things. The best of all the worlds. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Well, you talked about the, the the naturally carbonated farmhouse beers that you guys do, but you also do ciders and meads as well. So you're you're 
you've got kind of a, a wide variety of things that you guys are making over there. So talk about that and, and, you know, the, the challenges that, that must go into trying to you know, do beer and cider and mead and, you know, just how, how the consumers have kind of reacted to that too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll just start with that end and Kevin um, can probably speak more to that, but um, yeah, they sell really well. People are into it. There's a, a, a huge, um, uh, what's the, a spectrum of, you know, what ciders can be like, what me, it's like a beer, right? Or wine. And basically the whole reason why we even started talking about it is because, you know, we do a lot of events here. We have a, a big, our barrel room doubles as an event room. You probably saw the pictures on the website. Yep. You know, we, we knew that we needed to, to have a little bit of a better selection of items. Not everybody wants to drink beer. Frankly, not everybody wants to drink beer, cider, or mead. Some people want to drink spirits. I have no intention of getting <laughs> still. And, and at a wedding, I feel like, that's unfortunately, uh, the last thing a lot of the people need is to drink some spirits <laughs> right. after they've had several beers. You know, it's kind of one of those things where we're like, hey, we don't have any TVs on the wall, and you can't get whiskey here, you know? But <laughs> right. uh, basically, w- when we started figuring that out what we were going to do we decided that you know what we really needed to do is stick to our goal and our niche so our goal being our products need to be special and distinct so like i don't want to make a cider that tastes like anybody else's right i mean because those are out there and you can buy those and if you like those that's great so we we decided to barrel age the ciders. Um, we decided to to keep them just as dry as our beers. In fact, maybe drier. I mean, there's less body in the cider to begin with. So what we have, you know, for both ciders and meads is what I would call like your draft style, where it's lower alcohol. You know, our palm cider is five percent. Our meads are five percent. Um, they're super dry. You know, our meads. I, I like to compare for people when they're like, oh, I don't know what a meat is it's like well it's basically like you made a seltzer but you made it with honey instead of with sugar well obviously honey is sugar but you see what i'm yeah. saying so basically we're be able to sort of get into that kind of realm of flavor and intensity but still make it michigan sourced still naturally carbonated you know we carbonate the ciders and the meats more than the beers so they have a little bit more pop to them you know, we, we make sure that we're getting uh, a good blend of, you know, apples. That's that's a big thing with the cider is sourcing the good apples. I didn't have a lot of experience with cider. I did as a home brewer. I would make cider every year, but all the breweries I worked in, we never made it. So it's kind of like coming back to it for me a little bit. And uh, I found somebody that could really help me make smart decisions. His name is Josh Todd. He works actually for King Orchards. He didn't work for King Orchards then, but he's kind of been, I'll say he's kind of been my mentor and getting me back into trying to make good cider. And he's been a huge resource. He, he's able to, to find me apples, press them for me, you know. So I, I needed that because I was kind of coming, coming back to it without really uh, much of an idea of how we were going to do it in the first place. So. And on the sales side with our ciders and meads, it's, it's the introduction. So I just, on Saturday, I was doing a tasting down in Madison at one of the Willie Street co-ops. And we were pouring both of our, our palm cider and our cranberry mead along with two beers. And they were a big hit. It was the day before Easter. And I think a lot of people were looking to bring something to their, you know, whatever function they were going to. But it's introducing, you know, the idea of a very dry, refreshing, crisp cider compared to something that's overly sweet that you may, 
you know, have a can of to or share it with somebody and you're like, wow, that's just way, way too sugary. Where ours, you know, like Nick was saying, just about 5% and the most, one of the most refreshing drinks cider wise that you can have. Um, and then going to the mead, a lot of people think of meads. Me personally, when I first started drinking meads, they were higher ABVs, you know, sometimes 13, 14%, super thick, very sweet and syrupy. Where ours, like Nick said, when you pour it, it almost looks like a rosé and a seltzer. It's super carbonated, very light pink color, and uh, it just, you know, it's, again, a refreshing drink. And at 5%, it's something that you can have a 16-ounce can of and be perfectly fine with drinking the whole thing by yourself. I'll add that, you know, because it's been popular. And we do, we um, get to sell at our farmer's market here in Marquette, but you can't sell beer at a farmer's market in Michigan. You can only sell wine. So we sell our ciders and our meads there. So every year. It's loopholes. Yeah, exactly. So every year, um, and by every year, I mean, we started last year and we actually just got done packaging them all for this year's farmer's market. We do like a variety. We do five different flavors and, uh, the house favorite has been a chamomile version, which is funny because to me, it's almost like bringing the honey back because a chamomile and honey, you know, like I, I think honey is often full of chamomile because that's the flowers that the bees are going to. So you kind of get that honey aroma back and that's been the favorite. And I think we're going to start to do that one year round too, just because we've only done the one year round. You know, we're always like when something's good enough or we like it enough let's talk about it but a lot of times you know this goes for beer too the first time we do a beer it's like ah it's good but like you know it we we're generally happy if the third batch of anything is like exactly what we wanted you know it, it's it takes some iterations you know what i mean it, it's really hard to know what you're gonna have so with the the um the meads especially, it was like, well, we're going to put a whole bunch of chamomile flowers in here. I don't know how much chamomile flowers I should really add to <laughs> this much mead or like if this was a beer, would it be different or whatever? But like, you know, it's like you really sometimes it's like you just got to go for it. And um, I feel like they've all turned out pretty good, but that one's been special. That's my favorite, the chamomile for sure. And are the are the ciders mead ciders and meads available out in distribution as well? Or uh, talk about where where absolutely. Well, I'll talk specifically about Wisconsin. I'm assuming. I mean, obviously, you guys have a podcast; anyone can listen to it. But you guys are from Wisconsin, so we're slowly expanding our area. So you can find our meads, all of our products in in Green Bay, uh, a lot in Milwaukee, Madison, and then just recently we got our first account where. They actually bought back in September what we just delivered again in uh, Eau Claire. So we're expanding, um, you know, down in Green Bay uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Milwaukee and Madison. We just uh, got into Total Wines, all four of them in your state. Nice. And so they have a variety of all of, I think, five of our beers. They also have the cranberry mead and they're also carrying our ciders there as well. Nice. Uh, Nick, you were talking about uh, your King Orchards guy, yeah, and John. you know, obviously, like you like you just mentioned, uh, you know, we're we're from Wisconsin here, and we know a lot about the the brewery culture of of Wisconsin. We're not in the industry. We talk to a lot of people in breweries, and we spend some time in breweries. And there's this like fraternity of of breweries where everyone just kind of it's, a, it's a, the rising tide mentality. Uh, talk about. The UP specifically, we, we, we sort of joked about, you know, 30 some breweries for, for 300,000 people. What, what's like the brewery culture of the UP and, and how, how do you see people 
experiencing the breweries? Is there like the road trip? Is there like Kevin obviously has this whole travel and see them all, but like, is that what, is that what people do in the UP and, and want to like hit them all or how does that work? And, and what's the, what's the vibe like? I think, yeah, a lot of times, you know, it's so funny. It's, I have a great example, you know, we're very seasonal, right? So like, yeah, it, you know, and some people are like, oh, you know, it's it's uh, Memorial Day through Labor Day. Well, let me tell you, it's basically the 4th of July till the beer festival here, which is the first weekend in September or second. <laughs> September. <laughs> which, you know, don't get me wrong, you know, like everywhere we have the holidays and all that. So it's not that dire, but the real concentration of people <laughs> pretty small. So uh, when, you know, we were first starting it's still, don't get me wrong, I still hear this from people, but a lot of people would be like, oh, I've never heard of you. Oh, where are you? And these would be people in Marquette. We'd be like, well, yeah. in Marquette, we have a reference. We're in the old Northwood Supper Club building, and anybody from here knows that place, this place, you know. So that that's helpful. But we when we finally put signs on the highway, what I didn't realize was that the signs were actually for the locals because the tourists, <laughs> they take their phone or whatever. They know where they're going. They don't need a sign on the highway. They probably don't even look up. They're looking at their phone and then they're looking at the road, you know? So it's like, forget the sign for the tourists. They find us. And basically, I think what you mentioned is very much what happens is people will come to Marquette and they're they're going to do two things. Those two things might be two different things, but... They're going to do two things, and one of them is visit the breweries. It really does seem like this is true. The other one might be kayak. It might be mountain bike. It might be eat out. I don't know. But it's like people will come to Marquette to do whatever that hobby is and go to the breweries. And the tourists find us all, all the time. And, you know, I would say so often somebody comes in here and, and oh, what are you up to today? And they say, well, I was just at Ordock, and after here, I'm going to Black Rocks. Or somebody might be like, oh, you have any recommendations? And we'll be like, well, you should go to Black Rocks. And they'll be like, well, I already went there, or I'm already going there. I need re- other recommendations. It's like the breweries are really, I think, an attraction to, for people to come to Marquette. And I really feel like most of the tourists do go to the mall. And then, you know, even the even the people that, you know, come to Marquette to do their shopping or whatever, you know, we're by Menards. So uh, we see a lot of people that say, well, I was at Menards and, you know, and it's like, you know, people, if, if you're going to come from wherever into Marquette, you probably are also going to stop at a brewery and try a beer. So, and eat food. Yeah. We, we do have a, a full kitchen now. Yeah. We do have really, really good food that really matches the beer. You know, I will say that that's pretty easy because basically farmhouse ales are, are made to pair with food. So that's been really over the winter, it's really been helpful for us to continue to grow despite being in the time of year when it's hard to grow here. And we, I think we can uh, attribute a lot of that to this guy and a lot of that. <laughs> well to, done, Kevin. Uh, the fact that now people come in and they're like, oh, awesome. I can get, you know, a local lamb meat burrito, you know, and it tastes good. <laughs> and they also, of course, are drinking a beer and then maybe they're going to drink another beer because they're getting thirstier because they're eating that burrito. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really feel like this summer, we're hopefully going to see it really do a lot for us. I believe it will. And, and just touching on that question you asked about the UP in general, I'm it, coming from, you know, before I was working here, I would go on a road trip and like Nick said, I didn't need the road signs. I would leave with an itinerary. And I was like, I'm hitting these breweries right. on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And no matter what, you know, the drive between in the UP, 
you might, you know, the hit, you know, if anyone ever wanted to, which I always wanted to, but I never got to, if you want to hit all 30 plus, you would probably need a good 10 days with all the driving through the UP. I mean, it's about 1,500 miles of total driving to get around the whole loop and hit every brewery. And most of it isn't on a highway where you're going <laughs> 70 miles an hour. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, let's pour another round and talk about uh, the other uh, the other beer that you guys got us um, that, that Kevin delivered to Green Bay, and, and that's the Acadian Connection. Don't go anywhere. Pour another round. We'll be right back after we pay our beer tab. Who doesn't love a good beer special? With Real Craft Pass, you can get two for one beers at nearly 150 Wisconsin breweries. That's buy one beer and pour another round for free. This is Wisconsin's biggest BOGO brewery booklet. And guess what? What's that? Pour another round listeners can get 10% off any Real Craft Pass booklet. Just use the code pour another round at realcraftpass.com. That's real with two E's like a fishing reel. Not only is there over $800 in savings at Wisconsin breweries, but craft passes are also available for other states like Michigan, Wyoming, Montana, and even New Hampshire. Just visit realcraftpass.com and at checkout, use the promo code pour another round. Um, so it's a barrel aged ah. sour ale with um, Louisiana. Satsuma, is that how you say it? Satsuma oranges? Yeah. Yeah, Satsuma oranges. Okay. That's another that's a good example of a beer where we decided to do something that we just knew was going to be really good and not care if it was Michigan sourced. And it's actually kind of a collaboration with a restaurant here in town called the Lanya. Okay. So the folks that own the Lanya, the Durleys, they go every year they go to um Nolans and do all the fun things they go for mardi gras or they go at christmas time or they go whenever but they you know they have a cajun restaurant here they go down there every year that barrel basically was uh, french sourced beer you know so french uh pils pilsner malt and then we had them bring back the satsumas to fruit the beer so you get a really uh it's we realized at some point that all the different ways you can add citrus fruit to the beer the simplest way works the best. You know, we've tried to like put the zest in separate, the juice, you know, trying to figure out what to do. And what we realized is you just wash that orange and then you cut it into quarters and you put the whole thing in there. And then the right amount of zest gets incorporated. Those oils, the, the sugar all can get in there. You know, the oranges kind of, the peels kind of get inverted by the fermentation. So that's kind of interesting. And then the name of course is because, you know, that connection of, you know, I have uh, French Canadian heritage and uh, really kind of started getting into um, actually was obsessing over French beers before I even knew that. Um, and that's a long story I won't tell here. But um, <laughs> basically, like a lot of people, I have a made up last name. You know, it's not really the name my people had. They came to this country and somebody was like, I don't know how to spell that. So you're Vancourt now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but basically that was kind of the idea was to sort of represent that whole river of French, you know, people coming into our country out of Canada and all the way down to, to the bayou. Hence the name Acadian connection. And one of my favorite things that Nick does here, he made that beer in 2021 and thought, I'm going to sit on this because in two years, it's probably going to be that much better. So he was able to stack, uh, set away some cases in the big cooler. We have a six seller, I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> Patience. Yeah. 
For beer, yes. I, out of sight, not of mind, because I would not be able to. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> we actually were doing the same thing with the Queen City Brew. You know, we'll call this its infancy, and we'll call it an adolescent next year, and eventually we'll all drink it when it's an adult. Yeah. Love <laughs> you it. know, to, to what we try to do is, you know, we've tried it at different times of the year, and it, it's come to be no surprise that it works the best uh, the weekend of the beer festival in Marquette. The uh, Brewers Guild Festival of about 5,000 people um, where we'll just bust them out. You know, we'll um, we'll pull them out uh, and line them up vintage style and put the year on the bottle. And uh, people will get to basically start to form their barrel and beam cellar collection by, mm. by visiting here at the right time. You know, we also try to do it at Christmas time, you know. Uh, just a little something special to be like, you know, we took the time to to properly sell this for you and we think you're going to like it even more. So, you know, obviously there's there's certain beers that you can sell or certain beers that you should not sell her. Yep. Some age better than others. So I guess that's something that we've never really talked to anyone about here. Like if a consumer wants to start aging beers or selling beers, like what, how do you know what you should or should not do? And what are the conditions that need to, to really do it well uh, you know so the you made the most important point the first point is you know not every beer should be seller cellared um you know like for instance our blanc de nord whip beer that should be relatively fresh when you consume it and i say relatively because by the time it even gets out the door here it's a couple months old you know um because of all the mm. process that it goes through with the bottle condition or can conditioning and everything so there is the pro- properly selecting a beer generally higher alcohol certainly barrel age helps Anything that when you drink it, you think, oh, if this was smoother, drier, maybe a little funkier, like it's probably worth a shot. And then it's actually Uh easier, I would say, to have a beer cellar than a wine cellar in that you don't have to worry as much about the humidity because we're not worried about corks drying out, you know, not to say great beers that are corked, there certainly are. So like, do pay attention to that if that's what you're trying to sell her. But when it comes to our beers, you know, we have a proper crown on uh, the cans, you know, the cans actually it's, it's sort of hard to believe, but the can actually does seal the beer in better. Um, Even though it's got that much bigger seal around it, it's just the technology is better. You know, so you don't have to worry about the humidity so much. You definitely want to keep the beers in the dark and you definitely want to keep the beers at a little lower temperature. You don't really have to go, you know, like I guess a true, true beer cellar is going to be like 54 to 58 degrees. I honestly think if, you know, most people's basements are cooler than their main levels, if it's a little cooler down there, it's going to be fine. You don't have to worry about at least our products oxidizing because the natural carbonation really removes any oxygen from the package. So our, our oxygen levels in our packages are really, really low. That little bit of oxygen that is in there actually is probably helping it evolve a little bit in your cellar. Some beers, it's surprising, but some beers don't change much at all. You know, some beers kind of mm-hmm. just stay the same. I think it really depends where they were when they went in the package. Other beers can really evolve. Like beers as strong and as nuanced as the Queen City Brute, that I feel like is going to going to sell her great for a long time. You know, um, it kind of has all those components that really lend to that. That's that's yeah, that's awesome. So the so Barrel and Bean beers available in Michigan and in Wisconsin right now, right? As well as obviously at the at the tap room in Marquette. Yep. And yep. we talked a little bit about your tap room and you know just kind of the 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 feel and the look of the place and you have food now and stuff, but just kind of give us a, 
a summary of what people can experience when visiting your tap room and um, you know, kind of the, the vibe you guys have going there. You've got the event venue in the barrel room, which, which is a cool add on too. And just kind of sum- summarize what people can expect when, when coming and visiting the tap room actually in person. Before Nick answers, I'll just tell you my experience again from coming in here five years ago. Now it's, it's again, no TVs, no, no one's coming here for a football game or a basketball game or anything like that. So it's a really communal type, you know, whether you're sitting at the bar or upstairs where we're at, it's just, you know, everyone's friendly, not only the customers here, but I fell in love with the workers here. I mean, the, the people that have worked here over the years and, you know, the mainstays like Alex, Nick, Joe, um, Hillary, they're just amazing, amazing people that you know, welcome you in, love to talk about the beer uh, and just have, a, you can tell they have a passion for what, you know, what is inside of this building underneath this roof. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, we do, you know, everybody wants that five stars on the on the internet and it doesn't come easy. I mean, it's like it really for us, Kevin touched on a huge thing about our uh, about our business is that we're really interested in having the best people and keeping them. So we try really hard to do that. And it's worked so far. And the, the way we decide you're the best people is you got to be friendly, you know, you're doing customer service. So, so I would like to believe that we do have really good customer service. So I think you can expect that. I think what Kevin also touched on that's huge is, you know, we don't have TVs. This really isn't, we don't even call it a tap room. We call it a tasting room. It's a mellower vibe in here. It's very possible that when you come, there could be an event going on in the barrel room. Those can range from like 30 people having a baby shower to 125 people having a wedding reception. It can be any time or any day, you know, it do- the, the room does double as our, as our production area. Like we're about to can beer right where people would be sitting for the wedding. So like, you know, it gets a little hard during the week. Sometimes we try to avoid that, but often you'll see that there's an event going on. Um, the other thing you're just going to have no way of not noticing is that you're in a log cabin. So that's kind of unique. You know, when you pull up, it's funny because there's really nothing on this road to mistake for us, but this <laughs> building, you know, it's like we got this giant log cabin building in our parking lot and there are two houses across the street. And like, that's the only thing you can see from here other than a shitload of trees. Pardon my French, <laughs> a whole bunch of trees. So that's also what I think is really fun about coming here. We got, uh, so far we have two really nice beer gardens. We have a third that we want to do in the back. That would be like the piece de resistance. Cause that's even isolated from this little road we have out front. Um, when we get that one, but you'll be able to sit outside, have a wonderful experience in our beer gardens. It's South facing. So even though we're not in the warmest place, it's pretty warm out there most days. You'll see the log, uh, the logs, you'll experience that. And then hopefully you're hungry and you'll experience the food. Again, that's pretty new. We really just got that going last fall, but it's gone really well. Just the general menu items do really well. And then we've done a lot of fun pop-ups. Um, we've done some brunches, stuff like that. Um, it's also very locally sourced, like our beer, and very seasonal. And the menu changes pretty much daily, for sure weekly. Um, but little things change all the time. And that's another point I should make is we're always improving our building as well and trying to add more fun things. So this year we hope to do more with the, the latest beer garden we added. 
we want to be able to uh, get some fire pits out there here soon. We want to do the kind of stuff that is going to extend our beer garden season by at least a little bit. Bring more people to Marquette you know, in the winter because you've got fire pits. About seven months out of the year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. And then just to add to that, I mean, we were just going over it yesterday. You know, the, the main product is what's going in your mouth. And over the next month, maybe six weeks, I think we have a new beer release almost every Friday. So yeah. we have a lot of new products. We're hitting out. that time of year. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Well, a final question that we always ask our guests, and I don't even know if this is a fair question for Kevin, because this is going to be a, this is going to be a doozy <laughs> for him. If you're not drinking your own product, what would we find you drinking to just enjoy yourself, whether it's a specific brewery, whether it's a beer style, booze, non-alcoholic, what have you, like what, what do you do to kick back and just enjoy a Friday night? I mean, don't get me. I love I love breweries, uh, and I've always had my you know kind of to myself because I uh, I have a top five or a top ten list. So there there are some favorite breweries. I mean, Barrel and Bean for years, and this is not just because I'm working here now. People can go back five years <laughs> and look at my list or people I've talked to. They've always been number one. But there are some great breweries, <laughs> not only in the UP. Um, you can go to Black Rocks, which is about three and a half miles away. They make amazing beers. But downstate, there's amazing breweries and amazing people. You know, my a little shout out to my second favorite, Earth and Ales. They're down in Traverse City. And Jamie and Andrew um, are the brewers and owners there. And they make amazing beers. But the amazing thing about Michigan is that you don't have to go but five miles to run into another brewery or a tap room or a restaurant that's serving Michigan craft beer. It's just, it's everywhere. The state is... Um, I'll never use the word. There's never too much beer here. There's, there's always for more. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm always searching for beer. If I'm on the road, whether it's Michigan or Wisconsin, I'm always looking for a tap room or a brewery to go. You know, if it's a new one, you know, just experience some you know beers I've never had and, and people I've never talked to. That's a great thing about going from brewery to brewery is, is meeting the people behind the bar. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I definitely. So I drink our beer obviously plenty of our beer so anytime <laughs> i'm out anywhere, i'm looking to try something really and and i also i will say i can't do like a flight like it just doesn't work for me like i commit and i go for it you know <laughs> and uh so i really do i mean i'll say right now um i've been really kind of hooked on uh the it's called raise fiesta time from black rocks it's their latest lager it's like a mexican style lager you know, 4.8%, so fresh, it smells like brew day. You know, it's just one of those where it's like, every time you open one, it's like, wow, does that ever smell great? You know what I mean? And uh, so I've been kind of into that. I drink Jolly Pumpkin quite a bit. I mean, big inspiration there. Bam Beer is, you know, an incredible product that I, um, anytime I go to the beer store, I buy a can of that. Um, I really love transients beers. You know, I don't get into the big stouts as much and all the crazy stuff but like when it comes to like a good uh you know locally made lager or like his pale ales and stuff i mean that's great stuff bells is a foundational drafting table drafting table european lagers you know i mean there are some pilsners out there that you know just are so good uh so perfected you know what i mean I love it all. You know, I love a good IPA. I, I just don't need it all the time and I don't need it too hoppy. You know what I mean? 
So right. yeah, always looking, always looking for something tasty. Yeah, we. I mean, Nick and I were able to go on a, a, a working road trip yeah. two weeks ago, and <laughs> a working kind of, road trip uh, and went to five breweries. No kidding, and, and a multi tap with yeah. thirty eight taps. Or something. I got to introduce him a little bit oh, to Lord. my old life. Yeah, his lifestyle. <laughs> I was tired for about two weeks. I'm still tired. <laughs> But yeah, very cool. So I got a question. Do you mind if we ask you a question? Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. The what tables you, have turned. Yeah. Oh. Were you able to drink then the Acadian and the Queen City and any of the other beers that we left? Yeah. One one thing with, with barrel-aged beers for me, sometimes I find them so rich. Like if I'm looking for a beer, I want to drink a beer. If I'm looking for a whiskey, I want to drink whiskey when... When the two intersect, sometimes it's just it's just a bit much for me. Sure. And and the way that the way that you guys do it, it was not that. And that I appreciated so much. Thank you. Appreciate hearing that. Great to hear. So yeah, that's that's my take on that. I got I got uh, I work for Tyronina <laughs> Brewing. You guys are familiar yep. with Tyronina. Yep. You're familiar with Rock yep. Revenge. Yeah. Yep. It's yeah. Bourbon barrel aged brown ale. Mm. Uh-huh. Great beer uh-huh. and all, but you know, I had to make that beer every week and we would get 12 fresh bourbon barrels and put, you know, fill those and then rack 12 out to package to blend some of that in. And it, for years, it completely wrecked me to spirit barrels, like okay. completely. I'm, I'm coming back mm-hmm. to where they have a place, but it was just swimming in that smell for at least one. <laughs> a week every week and i i, I had a, a shirt i wore the same shirt every day because the barrels you know the charred wood and the rust on the hoops of a of a of a whiskey barrel right versus wine barrels which look like they were manufactured yesterday but <laughs> right and i just it, it kind of like I, I hear you it really um it really was too much. It really did ruin me. And that's part of why we've taken our barrel aging approach. Like I said, now I can at least kind of do a little bit of that and find it, find it good. But as good of a beer as Rocky's Revenge is, I promise you, I couldn't drink one and enjoy it because it would bring that just that <laughs> back to me, you know? Right. And, and, and I think that's how, that's how personally I am with IPAs as well. I used to love IPAs. I used to like, you know, strive for finding the hoppiest, the most bitter. Like I just wanted that, that punch of, of flavor. And I don't know what I did, but like I can drink one now and it's fine, but I don't, I don't (laughs) want one. (laughs) Yeah. Your taste evolves, right? I mean, just like anything, you know? Right. Well, Nick, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us on pour another round today. And, Thanks for having us. Yeah, it uh, really appreciate it. Of course, yeah. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed yourselves and sharing the barrel and beam story. And I'm down monthly, so hopefully we can uh, get together and share a beer down there sometime. That'd be great. Yep. Yeah, uh, Kevin. I think uh, I think last time we were here, we or I know last time you were here, we went to to Badger State, and and we talked about the next time uh, we got to go to Hinterland, which is a a fantastic one right across from Lambo. So okay, uh, that would be. That'd be a good one. Sounds good. Yeah, I'll put that on the list, and I'll uh, make sure I give you a call next time uh, I'm headed down. That's that's perfect. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Okay. Well, uh, and for all of our our listeners out there, you know, find Barrel and Beam beer around um, Wisconsin and Michigan, and of course, uh, heading right to the tasting room in Marquette up in the Upper Peninsula, and and be sure to pour another round for us while you're there. Yeah, uh, I'll just throw out the invite so you guys head up to Marquette sometime and we can do a, a, a live podcast from inside the barrel. Yeah, room. that sounds great. <laughs> there you go. All right. Cheers guys. Thanks, Thanks a lot guys. Cheers. Thanks.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Pour Another Round. Be sure to follow us on your favorite social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, at Pour Another Round. We'll be sharing news and information from breweries who are friends of the show. You can also find out what we're drinking and hear about upcoming featured breweries as well. Until next time, be sure to pour yourself another round.